Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Plastics Podcast. I, Madeline, am joined by my co-host Blair. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. <laughs> hey, Maddie. Madeline, sorry. Hey, hey. This weekend, Arsenal break down Eddie Howe's Newcastle Walls, Norwich and Wolves end in a thrilling 0-0 tie. You heard that right. Juventus fall to Atlanta in a deflating defeat. And Michael Carrick's slash Ralph Ragnarok's definitely not how it's pronounced Manchester United nearly pull off the perfect heist at Stamford Bridge so all due respect to the city of Atlanta Georgia oh shit did I say <laughs> but you've at, you've at Atlanta. Felt Atlanta that second that third no the second a in the series of three a's really throws off people I think from the states because we just read that and see Atlanta right away yeah and so there you have it. Sorry, Atlanta. You won, but lost. Do you remember that video I showed you of the bus, uh, the Atlanta city, like metro bus, parking in front of the camera yes. as they're yeah. demolishing the yeah. uh, the Georgia Dome, I think it was called? They're like, yeah, the Georgia Dome, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, there was like a Weather Channel bit where they had a camera set up and for some reason they set the camera up. It must've been because of how high the fence is on this bridge that they were shooting from, but it was set up across the two lanes of traffic looking over the Atlanta dome or the, yeah, the Georgia dome as it's being blown up and demolished. And it's going to be like this big dramatic thing. They're doing a countdown. And just as they pull the trigger, press the button, a bus pulls up in, in front of the camera and the cameraman is just like swearing and like beeping it out and you can hear all the explosions going off and see this plume of dust go up over the bus and the way the bus enters the frame it's just like this really <laughs> slow roll perfect comedic timing just oh oh chef's kiss yeah it was beautiful anyway maddie how are you doing i'm uh, i'm alive which is i guess all i can ask for at this point that's true yeah the uh, holidays are upon us. The food comas are copious. And sometimes it's hard to breathe. <laughs> it's a little bit, uh, all, of, all of this pressure for the holidays, it's, it's stifling on, sitting, a, on a girl's lungs. <laughs> sitting on your chest, perhaps. Yeah. 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 The American healthcare system, folks. Don't we love it? No. Anyway. Yeah. Maddie had a mishap, but she's okay now, I think, right? Yeah, we've got we've got drugs. We've got we've got breathing machines. Legal ones, prescribed legal, drugs. Legal, pre legally prescribed drugs. We've got uh, things that help us breathe, and you know we're we're moving on. We're uh, we're we're alive. That's true. Yeah. yeah How are you? Oh, well, I'm good. I'm yeah? good. good. Yeah. So my my breathing's good. Good. Yeah, can't complain about too much these days. So. How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. Yeah. We had a wonderful time. I think so too. We had a very adult Thanksgiving. <laughs> we played jazz in the background. We did. That was like, <laughs> I loved it. Sensual. Yeah. It was very uh, intimate. The dinner. <laughs> we had some friends over, some new friends, ones that I had never met before, which was fun. Good, good people to have around. Yeah. Some other friends who we've known much longer, also good to have around. Good it was food. a, it was a really good mix of people. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of uh, fun times. For sure. Should we get into this? Yeah, we have uh, we've got a lot to get to. 
yes, we do. So I think we might try out something new this week. We're going to do a rundown of the games we didn't get to as the Plastics Podcast, but we think maybe deserve a mention. So let's do a little tour around the Premier League. The honorable mention. Honorable <laughs> mentions. All right. Starting from the top, Liverpool thumps Southampton 4-0 with two goals coming from Diogo Jota. The Saints did not go marching in. Next up, we've got Brighton, who draw with Leeds, listening a little bit of vexation, consternation, bewilderment from Brighton's fans that had Graham Potter feeling a little prickly in his post-game press conference. Well, they're entitled to their opinion. I disagree with them completely. And just explain a little bit more why. Well, because you you have to understand the game. You have to understand uh, who we're playing against, how we played, what we did. I think we're sitting eighth in the Premier League, but maybe I need a bit of a history lesson at this football club. Brentford take all three points against a depleted Everton squad who have lost four and drawn one in their last five in the Premier League. They now sit, Everton that is, now sit 14th on the table. Not great for Benitez's boys. They need a clean bill of health and fast. Finally, we got Leicester. They smashed Watford. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, in a snowy goal fest, 4-2 yeah. at the King Power. Yeah, so that's what we got for the tour around the Premier League. Um, the tour de league, if yeah. you will. Some good games this weekend. Yeah, some fun games. Absolutely. I, mean, I think we, usually we pick a game and then we watch all of the other games score and we sit there going, mm, I wanted to watch the scores too. I think this this weekend we kind of got it all. Yes. Granted, we didn't get to watch Lester win, but... <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch... Were you watching that at all? No, I was watching uh, the other snowy game, Man uh, City versus West Ham. Yes. So, for those who aren't in the know, um, there was a winter storm that kind of sat on the island uh, of England, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I felt that feels weird saying. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, the winter storm... Arwin, which is, that's a name, 100 mile an hour winds and heavy snow in places. Uh, That's not great. (laughs) And they tried playing soccer in some of that. One, one, two of the teams said, uh, no, we're not doing this. That's true. Burnley and Tottenham (laughs) didn't have it in them to play through it. I don't know. It seems like maybe dangerous conditions, but some I really of the thought other... Conte was going to be like, "No, get out there and play." <laughs> I came here for to watch you guys play. I'm going like, to watch you guys play. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like Sean Dyche would have said the same thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Inter- it's always fun watching uh, any professional sport in a deep snowstorm. I remember one example was the Detroit Lions playing at Philadelphia one winter, and there was a huge snowstorm and. Kelvin Johnson, when he was still on the team, uh, our hero and savior, uh, he caught a ball, fell into the snow, basically disappeared because I think we had our white jerseys on (laughs) and then got up and had a face mask packed full of snow. (laughs) It was crazy. It was a hilarious game to watch. But anyway, it's always always fun to watch watch uh, non snow based sports played in deep snow. Yeah. It, it seemed a little bit dangerous at t- sometimes with the Man City game. I mean, there were, I don't think we're talking about the game, but there were times when you just didn't see the ball. I didn't see the second, or yeah, the second goal or the first goal because, yeah, I, don't, I, I didn't <laughs> even know happened? where the ball yeah. went. Um, but they cleaned it up in the second half, literally and, uh, and figuratively. Yeah. The skies cleaned up uh, so we could actually watch the second half of the game. 
Yeah, the Plastics Podcast podcast is petitioning <laughs> the Premier League to buy a Zamboni for the stadiums. Yeah. I would love to see a little cart driving around on the field cleaning off the snow like the one or two times a year they have to have to do that. I'm throwing candy to all the fans. Yeah. Isn't that what Zambonis do? I think sometimes. They did that at Western. Yeah. Or they threw like t-shirts or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to Jersey there one time. At Western from yeah. a Zamboni? Not from a Zamboni. But oh, okay. From, you got automatically entered into a competition if you swiped in with your student ID. Oh. And uh, yeah, I won. I got a free puck one time. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't like catch it from like the game. They that were would just, be hard. Like, yeah. I feel like that would also be very dangerous. Yes. Yeah. The netting is very useful there. Mm-hmm. Moving on. <laughs> Let's start from the top. Arsenal 2, Newcastle 0. Eddie Howe's first game in charge. Goals here from Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli made the difference for the Arsenal boys. A bit of a, I don't know, KG performance uh, to start out. Arsenal had most of the possession in the first half, but weren't able to really generate anything from it. Mikel Arteta said that he was frustrated with how slowly they were moving the ball in possession. And that really, I think, showed on the field uh, because they weren't really able to generate anything too threatening uh, against Newcastle's deep block. I think Newcastle started out pretty good. They had pretty solid defensive lines. They were able to basically nullify anything that Arsenal were trying to do uh, to start out. And uh, they hit us on the counter a couple of times and could have probably gotten something off of them if Callum Wilson wasn't such a coward. Harsh words, all right. <laughs> I think uh, Callum Wilson was a, is a nominee for the Plastics Podcast shameful dive of the match. Okay. Because there was an instance where there was just a long ball sent over the top to him. He was in one-on-one and got like the slightest of bumps in the back and just dove like yeah just dove in the box like he he, was diving for an olympic uh gold medal yeah exactly and he could have probably gotten a shot off but because he dove nothing happened and it wasn't a foul in my opinion uh and 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 also in the referee's opinion he (laughs) waved it off and like looked like gave him the stink face like come on man you're better than that Gave him the stink face. shame on you (laughs) yeah so i uh am the arsenal fan in the room and on the pod so i like to talk about them a lot but really this game in my opinion was a was mostly nothing and i really only included it in our uh run <coughs> rundown excuse me <coughs> something got <in> my throat <laughs> um maybe i got the emotions <laughs> yeah i was so proud of the boys <laughs> but only really included it here because it was eddie howe's first game in charge of the uh newcastle lads and was in the dugout for the first time. Any thoughts on Newcastle this game? It was more of a fun watch for somebody that was watching the Arsenal side because you got Saka, who finally looks really strong, and uh, when Martinelli came on, you're just kind of like, well, this should be interesting, and then his like first or second touch just scores like that it was it was it was an exciting match to watch if you weren't a newcastle fan any uh anything i don't know any 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 glimmers of hope sign uh signs of of life that fans and and tyneside might take away from the match the game was at arsenal but you know tyneside's where newcastle play i guess so any anything there that you saw that you might say is a positive for them they 
they didn't look like completely lost. Um, I think the first half they they did start off really strong. I think a positive takeaway is they had nine shots and five of them were on target, which is a pretty good percentage rate. Uh, Arsenal had twenty four with six on target. So I mean, really they were they were bombing the goal, but really with only six on target against Newcastle's five, is it quality over quantity? Yeah, and I think that might be something we bring up a couple of times today because there were a few games we watched where the shot numbers were really skewed to one side. But yeah, um, it's yeah, it is a it is a quality versus quantity conversation for sure. They had uh, some good looks, but also three offsides where Arsenal had zero. So really holding the back line pretty well for Arsenal. Um, Newcastle trying to sneak by, but just couldn't. Uh, sneak one in yeah so my, my, my take on it is that like arsenal or i'm sorry newcastle started out defending quite well mm-hmm. their low block was pretty organized they weren't too bothered uh for like the first first 30 35 minutes and i think up until uh pierre amrick Aubameyang's uh rebound shot off of esr's header where he somehow whiffed it wide of the post, even though he had like all the space and time in the world to put it in the net. It was a bit difficult shot, I guess, but he should be scoring that. I think Newcastle had probably the best uh, chance in the game up until that point off of John Joe Shelby's like 25 yard screamer Mm -hmm. where Ramsdale had to get a hand on it to kind of tip it over the bar. And man, Ramsdale is just constantly there he has been one of the most he was october's uh arsenal or premier league man of the match or man of the month or was he arsenal's man of the month for october i saw he was man of the month but i didn't see who who it was for probably arsenal probably arsenal he has just been a very very solid player uh i think newcastle are kind of in this weird waiting period because mm-hmm. they have all this money and they don't know what to do with it. And it's burning a hole in their pocket <laughs> and they just want to spend it, but can't until the January trade window. Yep. So it's like biding their time with the players that they have and figuring out who they're going to keep, but also how they're going to bring players into their club when they're sitting 20th. Yeah. They're sitting 20th. They're on six points. They have yet to win. They're the only team in the top four divisions in the uh, English footballing pyramid that have yet to win a game. Yeah. And I think the big question for them is going to be, can they mitigate enough damage before January where they can buy players, improve their squad enough to get out of the relegation zone? They've lost half a season they will have lost half a season. Yeah. So Eddie Howe really kind of need needs to whip these boys into shape and uh, yeah, to try to get some, try to find a way to get some points out of them before their acquisitions in January. I, I mean, I, I think the, the argument's been that they're not going to be buying a whole new team in January, you know? I don't see how you can. I mean, that's a lot of convincing players that they want to come to Newcastle when I mean, a lot of the good players are playing for Chelsea, Arsenal, (laughs) (laughs) Liverpool, and these teams are doing well and they want to win the league. So it's really hard to say, yeah, come to Newcastle because 
we might make it out of relegation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems like what their strategy might be is to buy players that are either not getting regular minutes at, you know, big six clubs in England yeah. or just, I guess, any club in England, really. Um, or buying from the continent in Europe where they can maybe be able to draw top talent away with high wage packets, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, you know, with bonuses. promises of next year. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I don't, this is not my original thought, but I really do believe that the rest of the league is looking at Newcastle and what they're going to represent in the league for years to come. And they're all very much intent on trying to make sure they get relegated this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I do not doubt that. I mean, with the amount of money that they have, it can really uh, screw up any kind of structure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like they, they will be, it won't be too long into the future where they will be competitive and not much longer after that where they'll be at the top yeah and is eddie Howe? i thought i heard somebody say he's not like a long-term solution for uh for newcastle yeah i think Howe probably is an interim kind of guy he coached bournemouth who got relegated i think they parted ways after the relegation they were in the league for a couple of seasons after getting promoted he coaches a pretty attacking style and i think actually their big weakness was that they were very defensively soft mm-hmm. and so it was kind of strange to see such an organized two you know two blocks of four uh for newcastle in this match i didn't really expect that i expected maybe some more on the attacking side of things and the defensive side but i guess you kind of have to shore those things up first so yeah. a writer at the athletic called their defense porous ag flaky and error prone yeah, I think they have like the third worst defensive record in the league. Yeah. I so. mean, obviously they haven't won a single game yeah. and their goal uh, differential is pretty um, opposite of, let's say, Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are on what, minus 14 goals right now, I believe. I just have the table minute went away. Yeah, minus 14 goals and six points. Yeah. So... That's enough about Newcastle. I think yeah. we'll see what they have in store for them with how at the rain. There were a couple of points I wanted to make on Arsenal, but I didn't really want to do like a full explication of this game because it's, you know, Arsenal versus a bottom of the table team. Yeah. So not that interesting for people. But I want to say that I was very happy with this performance from a mentality perspective. Arsenal kept basically the same lineup save for Odegaard subbing in for Lacazette in the starting 11 this week. They kept the same lineup from last week when we got absolutely thrashed by Liverpool. I think that Albert Sambilaconga and Nuno Tavares, who had very difficult games last week, and that's maybe a, a nice way of saying bad games, they came in and showed a lot of maturity and were I think very effective in this game. I think Sambi was probably the man of the match. So I was really happy with how they responded to this and how the team responded. Because last season we struggled with two things. One was coming off of a loss. We were we always uh, found it difficult to rebound to put that behind us and to get back to winning. Uh, and this season, you know, it's going to bode well for us if we can rebound from tough losses like that, which more of them will come because it's a young team. But it's good that we rebounded this way. And we also struggled against low block teams like Newcastle, where we couldn't really break them down. We couldn't really create dangerous chances because, you know, we were kind of more of a broken play, open spaces kind of team. 
And when those spaces weren't there presenting themselves, we didn't really have that kind of, uh, you know, nice link up play once you play around the box to break down a low block like that. So I was pretty happy to see how we were able to do that this game. So that was kind of kind of what I wanted to, to mention there. I thought uh, Tavares had a better game, but I still, I mean, he, the shots he was taking <laughs> were just like, oh yeah, skied them out wide. It, none of them were close. It was just kind of like, what goal are you looking at, sir? Yeah, his his attacking still leaves something to be desired for <laughs> sure. He is a very uh, audacious player. He believes in himself a lot, and hey. I. Sometimes he, that's all you need. He and Tomiyasu were, I mean, Arsenal were basically occupying, you know, Newcastle's half yeah. for most of the game. So he and Tomiyasu were quite high up the pitch, which I think was also a notable departure from what Arteta has done in the past. This is a riskier way of playing against a deep block counterattacking team because you're only committing your two center backs to being your safety net. And I was actually pretty happy with this. Uh, you know, we even got a goal off of Tomiyasu who had a great pass to Martinelli, and that was because he was in a good position up the field and could one-time a ball to Martinelli, who had a great finish. Same with Tavares. He assisted Saka's goal. So, you know, these guys getting higher up the field, I think, is really good. And what Tavares offers us is a lot of pace and physicality uh, going up and down that left flank, and he was able to get back on a lot of their breaks uh, even if he was, you know, a few yards behind the play or something like that. So decent distribution. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just really happy with the performance and uh, yeah, good, good to get back to winning ways. Woo. Any final thoughts on the game, Maddie? Nope. Okay. That's enough of me going on and on uh, about the arsenal. Let's move on to a real game. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the realest <laughs> game of them all, the, the nail biting tie. Yes. Do you want to tell us the scoreline? Norwich zero, Wolves zero. Yes. It was, uh, I'll, I'll let you break this down. You wrote this one too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Norwich nil, Wolves nil. What a very exciting goal is draw. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought it. Yeah. No, you, the I mean. Line, but yeah. it was back and forth. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if... When before I before I joined the soccer bandwagon, and I would just kind of casually check Premier League scores every now and then, just because it was a league, I had friends that watched it, whatever. And it's like, oh man, can you imagine watching a goalless ninety-minute draw? There's just no way it'd be fun or, or entertaining in any way. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that's wrong. I was wrong. I'm a big dummy. Uh, this was a lot of fun to watch. It was a pretty open game, pretty back and forth. You know, uh, it didn't end in a goal, but there were plenty of chances for at least Norwich to uh, generate something. And yeah, it was just a, it was a fun, it was a fun nil-nil draw. I was actually very surprised with it. Maddie, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's talk about a couple of players for uh, either team. Do you have any in particular that you want to mention? I have only watched a couple games of each of these teams and mostly for Josh Sargent. I was kind of excited. I, I He hasn't been playing very much or very well. Even for the American side, he hasn't been uh, making appearances. And it was it was nice to see a start. And he had he was finding space. He was finding good space. He was able to get into like into the attack, just couldn't really 
make that much of a huge difference. Obviously, with the zero zero, we just couldn't do it, and then was subbed off uh, in the second half. Yeah, I think he got about sixty minutes before he was subbed off. So, yeah, uh, it's it's promising though that he's you know Dean Smith is there. This is his second chi- uh, second game in charge, and yeah, I think he. You know, it's promising that, you know, Sargent's kind of walked into the lineup. He he played for 68 minutes, so. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he was finding good spaces to get into and, and you know, spacing and runs into space, uh, drawing defenders. These sorts of things are really important for attackers to do. And I think, you know, this sort of has a subtle effect because I think another player we might talk about, Timo Puki, he was finding a lot of room to run in, in behind uh, Wolves center backs and so you know I think Sargent's uh, spacing and kind of knowledge of where to show up and where to be really helps with that he I think he still kind of struggled with the ball at his feet and that was sort of his downfall with the men's national team when he got a few auditions I guess we could say this qualifying window for the world cup so you know he just really he really needs to work on that and hopefully Dean Smith can help him there but yeah, I think that's still where he needs to uh, improve for sure. Because at the end of the day, you can't really afford to be playing attackers who don't have goal and assist output. You just really can't. Really? Yeah. When you want to score, that's how you win? Exactly. Huh. You just can't do it. You can't do it. That's the Plastics Podcast obvious statement <laughs> of the of the bot. Yeah, so I want to mention one, Timo Puki. He was cool. He's a great guy. Had a lot of fun with him in my fantasy team last year or last time they were up. I guess that was two years ago. Great goal scorer. So, like, kind of deceptive with his movement. I was surprised how frequently he was getting into space. And then once he was played through and had was on the ball, he doesn't really seem like a guy who would be, like, super, super quick. Uh, he's kind of a big, burly guy. But... He's got a good, good couple, of, you know, first couple of steps in him, and he's smart about where uh, he where he moves, and he kind of frees him up, frees himself up into space so that he gives himself some time on the ball uh, when he's got an attacking chance. He had a great game. He had a really great game. He really made the most out of his touches and his passes. He had a hundred percent pass accuracy. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> he had a hundred percent pass accuracy. He had two shots on target, two off target, and one shot blocked. Five total shots, which is as many as Wolves achieved as a team. So he had he had their like he had their attack. Yes, in the palm of his foot. <laughs> Pretty much in the palm of his <laughs> foot. Yep. So he accounted for zero point nine, and which is one point five xg, which is pretty insane. Uh, he, yeah, he was there attacking you know, the biggest attacking threat by leaps and bounds. And, and really a lot of ground duels won as well for a forward, not like a, a defensive midfielder or even on the defense. He was, he won four ground duels out of his five. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. And they were, that's a, that's actually, that's a really great point because they were at least uh, starting up in, at the beginning of each half, they were really pressing up high and mm-hmm. trying to pressure Wolves defenders as much as they could, which I thought was a, a an interesting new wrinkle. I don't remember them doing that with uh, Daniel Farka as their manager. So maybe this is something new that Dean Smith is trying. Maybe it's something he thought they could exploit just f- for Wolves. But you know, 
we talked about Norwich in the past being a pretty fun, open attacking team, even if they weren't really getting the results. But they've, I think, added to that, you know, some defensive solidity with Smith uh, starting out as well. So we'll see if they can continue there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raul Jimenez for Wolverhampton. Yes. He just is so angry. Angry. He, he's he's very, very aggressive, and he kind of scares me watching <laughs> him play. He just kind of runs through people. He doesn't, he had, didn't, didn't have very accurate passes. He had a lot of touches on the ball, but as their center forward, or yeah, is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. He only had 67% pass accuracy and really didn't win a lot of ground duels. I didn't think he had the best game. I really don't think that their forwards for Wolverhampton did that great. I think their midfield kind of held up the attack and the defense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, between Traore, who was subbed on, Trincao, shiny, shiny Traore. <laughs> Traore was just glistening. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was, yeah, glistening. Between uh, Traore, Trincao, Huang Chan, and Raul Jimenez, they had two shots from their, from their attack, attacking line. So, yeah, just not a great output from them. No. Um, it seemed like when they were getting into spots where they could get a shot off, they were just too slow with it. Like a step too late. Yeah, exactly. And I think Norwich didn't get a goal. It kind of really came down to inches. They were just, you know, a little heavy on their through balls. Their touches were just a little bit too heavy. Um, Wolves were, I don't know, just they just were not technically sound, I guess. They weren't mm-hmm. they weren't incisive enough. They weren't, you know, ruthless enough in the attacking third. And that really cost them. There were some moments Wolves did have some good pressure. Norwich, I think their worst feature of the game was trying to play out of the back, which was just frightening as hell to mm-hmm. see. They did not look super confident um, doing it. And Wolves were able to dispossess them a couple of times pretty high up the field and in dangerous areas with lots of space and lots of men forward. So those were, I think, the er- the, the times where Wolves were you know, closest to getting something out of that, but they just weren't clinical enough in front of goal. So kind of both teams got kind of, uh, slow on the last second before the shot. Yeah. Let the defense set up pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Just shots that really didn't lead to much threat. Basically. I think, I think Jose saw really did keep, nor uh norwich from scoring he had a couple of great saves i think he made four total saves yeah and you know i we we go on about this but the post shot xg and the saves was 1.2 so you know they norwich were able to achieve an entire goals worth of expected goals but not put one in the net there was a couple where like pookie got played through the ball's just a little long uh in one instance and he kind of lunged to get a toe on it and Saw came off his line and blocked it with his leg. That was a great save. There was another instance um, where he made another kick save like that as well. Um, so, yeah, just some really dangerous air, dangerous, dangerous moments in the box, and I think Saw handled them all pretty well. He was a key player for them and probably Wolves' best player of the game, honestly. So Yeah. Tim Krul kind of uh, he didn't have as much to do. He only had two big saves really speaking to Norwich's defense, which is a surprise. Um, I mean, it's like sixth or seventh against 18 or 19. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, this is the thing. Wolves are, they've been on a great run of form. That's yeah. A, another good point. They're sitting sixth right now. They've, yeah, they've kind of been quietly climbing the table. and yeah. Really quietly. Yeah, exactly. And Just like West Ham. <laughs> yep. And so, yeah, sitting on sixth, they're playing the 19th place team, and they really didn't look great on the road. No. Nope. At Caro Road, I believe, is the stadium. Let me see. Yep, Caro Road. Yeah, I think Norwich had a lot to prove in this game, and holding them 0-0 was okay for Norwich. I think, obviously, they would have rather had 1-0, but I, at the end of the day, that's still not a bad uh, turnout for an 18th place team. Yeah, for sure. So they're sitting on nine points, which is tied on points with Burnley. They are well off the mark with Burnley's goal difference. They're Norwich are on minus 20 goals, which is oh. the worst in the league. Oh. And Burnley are on minus six. So they would have to make up some ground if they came down to goal difference. But yeah, tied on points. Leeds sit at 12. They're the closest team to the relegation zone. So yeah, still, you know, still room to climb up for Dean Smith's boys. They played pretty well in this game. You know, we'll see if he's going to be able to finesse a you know, season where he can keep them up. I have my doubts, but I believe in Dean Smith as a coach. I think he's a good coach and think he will be able to get Norwich playing some pretty good soccer again, if not at the Premier League level next season. All right, moving on. Juventus, 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 zero, Atlanta, one. We're taking a little trip down to Italy. We got our... Flip-flops on. Ooh. We... Is it nice there right now? It's probably, like, pretty nice. Okay. I don't know. It was in Turin. Let's see what the Turin Italy weather is like right now. How about I Google Turin Italy weather? 40 degrees. So, it's I guess not, really not flip-flop, flip-flop weather. weather. Yeah. So, so Nick's that. I actually think they're... Turin's a rather mountainous area, if I recall correctly. So, yeah. In the north of Italy, I suppose. I should buy a map. <laughs> Juve, zero. Atalanta, one. This was a, probably the biggest match in Serie A this weekend, and that's why I watched it. Yeah. There's uh, some intrigue here on the men's national team front with Weston McKenney playing. And, you know, I I have a soft spot for Atalanta. There you, you like how they play. I like how they play. Yeah. They're a fun team. They are full out attack yeah and it's pretty cool to watch they have a really high press and it they do it well yeah they do yeah they basically occupied atlanta or atlanta basically occupied juventus half for the first half of Mm -hmm. the game so they were really high up they had a really high line and yeah their attackers were basically just constantly in that side of the field so yeah pretty fun game it I don't know. It's it's hard to put your your finger on this one. Mm-hmm. I think it was a pretty open match for the first half. Atlanta scored off of an incredible goal from uh, Duvan Zapata, who's a really fun player to watch. He received the ball from their right center back, I believe, Jim City. Jim City. So there's a loose pass in the middle of the field. It fell to Jim City, who basically just hit a one-time ball down the right side of the field to Zapata, who was played on because Matthias Delict was just standing in no man's land. 
I can't make out what the hell he was doing so far back because his line, I guess two of their defenders kind of commit forward as the ball is coming back. So I think maybe Delicta didn't see that they had moved. And then by the time they had moved, the ball was already coming back. And so he kind of stayed. That might be a generous reading of things, but regardless, he was on the right side of the field, his right side of the field. Duvan Zapata was all the way over to his left. So he wasn't involved in the play, but he played him on. So yeah, yeah just a big, big lapse in, in defensive uh, judgment there. Zapata's, you know, one-on-one, he takes a couple of touches, gets into the box, takes a shot from the right side. Wojciech Chesney just kind of does a little, like, he kind of like falls to his right. I don't know. Doesn't really make a play at the ball. And Zapata's shot hits bar down and just goes in. And it was, it, it, I don't know. Juve looked shell-shocked. They were surprised that it, it had happened. So that was the big moment of the game, the only goal. I feel like Juve's had a couple pretty hard games and haven't really had a time to bounce back from them coming off of the huge loss to Chelsea in the Champions League straight yeah, into, crushed. yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they did. Juve uh, was coming off a pretty tough loss in Champions League to Chelsea. They were pretty much suffocated, lost 4-0. to zero. So... And you, you said Juve's kind of had a rough start to their season as well. And this, I think, just keeps the trend going, unfortunately, for them. Um, and unfortunately for McKinney, who got a start. Yeah, I thought... So my, my take on it was that McKinney and Quadrado on the right were probably the best attacking options that Juve had going forward. Mm-hmm. I think McKenney had a really great play where he switched uh, from the right wing to the left. He received the ball on the break, saw the early cross to Federico Chiesa, who was streaking down the left side, basically unmarked, and played a really nice ball to him, kind of landed at his feet. And Chiesa uh, basically had one man to beat. There was a Toloi, who is the uh, right-sided center back for Atalanta, who made basically a last-ditch effort in the box and uh, took the ball off his feet before he could get a shot off. He did. And I think Atalanta's back three all had uh, pretty good performances. They were basically able to always get that last-ditch effort they needed to, you know, block a shot in the box to make a last-minute tackle to prevent a, you know, really a shot from a dangerous position. And, I mean, they're asked to do a lot because... Atalanta are very high up the field, so they're you know susceptible to these sprints. And Chiesa, uh, for those that don't know, is a very quick player. So yeah, I think they they did well there. And yeah, I think McKenny, you know, he was unfortunate to go off injured mm-hmm. for sure. And you know, not to jump the gun, but I think what really undid Juve in the end was that Chiesa and McKenny were were you know, pretty bright for them, in my opinion. And they both went off with injuries. Kesa had to get subbed off at halftime. Uh, McKenney was later on in the game. So it was just uh, a bit of bad luck in that regard. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, Juve uh, had, had their chances, but they just really couldn't capitalize. And um, at the end of the game, it was more like Atalanta had their half, their good f- first half. They got a goal, uh, maybe a rather unlikely one, but they got a goal. Juve basically dominated the second half, and they just couldn't get a goal. They and couldn't take their chances. Uh, but the the back three playing the way that they do with with their last ditch efforts, they weren't 
doing it in a dangerous way where they were taking out players in the box. There was, I don't think there was ever a moment where I was like, Oh my God, like that was really stupid because they had these, like they, they were really sneaky about getting the ball away from uh, the offenders in a very pretty safe way. And I think Atlanta really depend on that defense and if they didn't have that kind of um, sneaky steals, I think Juan Musso would have had a much harder game on his hands. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a actually you know that's a really good good point because the the moments that we talked about where they're you know they're really dangerous spots for for Juve. You're exactly right. Like the center backs were making tackles, but they're always on their feet. Mm-hmm. They weren't sliding in in the box and giving away penalties. You know, yeah. and that's great defending. So, yeah, I mean, they looked really mature. They're really mature defensive players mm-hmm. uh, that made um, some great, great plays. There were some good moments for Juve. One in particular, Rabio had a shot from outside the box that would have gone to Musa's back post, but he was just able to get a fingertip on it and push it around the post. So, yeah, that, that was a pretty dangerous moment for them. There's another in the 95th minute where Dybala had a free kick from just outside the box on the right side, and he hit a, a beautiful shot that was dipping, but he had hit it just slightly high, and it bounced off the top of the crossbar and went out. And that would have been an absolute sunner. 95th minute to to concede or to concede yeah. there for Atalanta would have been just an absolute dagger, really deflating. And you know, Juve probably would have felt slightly aggrieved that they didn't get more out of the game, but happy with the point. But it's always just amazing to me how much things can change from your first half to your second half and what the difference a halftime discussion and the changes that are made can make a difference on the rest of the game. I mean, Juve wasn't looking strong. What the hell does their manager have to say to them at, ha- at the half to make them work harder? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're already in the game. They're already wanting to win because you're playing and you're getting paid to play. But what do you, does your manager have to say to you and what kind of changes did they make that allowed them this second half of like pushing themselves, I guess? Yeah, that's a great point. Tactically, to be honest, I don't really know what changed for them. It just seemed like they were, uh, they were just able to sustain, you know, possession better. They, I don't know, they, they had certainly had a lot more shots they had, you know, 65% of the ball, which is 10% more than they had in the first half. So, yeah, just maintained possession better. They had nine shots in the second half versus the six they had in the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juve, or Atalanta had two shots in the second half. So it, it really was just Juve trying to get a goal and Atalanta trying to soak up as much pressure as they could and kind of break if they if they were able to, which they really weren't uh, for most of the second half. So There's also the mentality of Atalanta's up 1-0 and they can kind of... Um, try to maintain that yeah. by sitting back a little bit further. And I don't think they pushed as far with their press, allowing Juve to kind of push back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think on the whole, Atalanta's midfield really didn't shine much in this game. Mm-hmm. It was their back line. And then that, you know, one moment to Zapata. Yeah. The only guy on their team that really seemed to be popping up in places that wasn't Zapata was Malinovsky who covered a lot of ground. I don't think he really had a great game, but he he was just really active, involved, primarily down the left, but he was moving all across the width of the pitch. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Malinovsky, I think maybe it was the, the other guy going forward that, you know, he was kind of maybe the release valve a little bit when they couldn't get it to Zapata, but, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of sitting back and just trying to try not to concede a stupid goal in the end. Yeah. So, yeah. So looking at it now, this is Serie A. We're in new territory. <laughs> the way things stand, Atalanta are fourth on 28 points. That puts them behind Inter, who in third and 31, Milan in second at 32, and Napoli in first at 35. Juventus sits seventh on 21 points, which is... New territory, I would say, for them. Yeah, I, I am wondering what's going to change because uh, I don't think people were very happy with their performance. Um, I don't think the players were very happy with their performance. And what is going to have to change within the lineup, within the managerial staff? I think people right now are... I'm kind of expecting, like, you know, if you lose a couple games in a row, the manager's gone because that's just been, like, the trend in the Premier League in the past, like, four or five weeks is you lose a couple games, you're fucking out of there, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the carousel continues and you just bring in somebody new and you hope that it works out. But I don't know. I kind of want to just see where what they can do with what they have. Yeah, and it's Juventus. They have a solid squad. They have yeah. a very good squad, in fact. Yeah. So it's pretty inexcusable. Uh, you know, Massimiliano Allegri is, is a manager. He has a super cool name. Yeah, and he sounds dope. Yeah, he's managed them before. I don't know a lot about him, but I know he's like a fairly well-respected manager around Europe. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, what's gone, gone wrong for him. Obviously, in this game, we mentioned it, but the injuries to Chiesa and McKenney, I think, were really key. They have talent to bring out on the field, though. You know, you know, Moise Keane, I think, is a really talented young player. They brought on Kyle Jorge, uh, Georgie, or uh, might be Jorge, I'm not sure, and uh, Federico Bernadeschi. So, I mean, like, they have, like, you know, they have options on their bench. So, it's just a matter of finding the right uh, balance, I guess. One, one person in particular for Juventus who, you know, I'm not sure exactly what kind of season he's having because we're not regular Serie A watchers, but Alvaro Morata is their number nine. He plays kind of on, he's kind of situated on the left, but really sits at like kind of the top of the formation. But didn't do much, didn't do much. Um, he he had two shots, but uh, I don't know, just weren't really dangerous shots. Um, they weren't on target. They just they need to get more out of that guy, I guess. Um, Pablo Pablo Dybala, I think, was carrying his own weight. Kiesa was carrying his own weight. McKenny was, I think they really need to get more out of Murata or whoever's playing in that position. That seems like a, a weak spot in their attack mm-hmm. right now. So, yeah, we'll see. Juve are finding themselves sitting kind of mid-table, below Roma even, and um, Fiorentina. So, a bit of a strange season for them so far, but we'll see if they're going to be able to turn it around. Moving on to our last match of the week. Yeah, and uh, another new manager, Yes, kind of. Not yet, not there, <laughs> but Thor Ragnarok <laughs> is sweeping in. Ralph Rag- Ragnick is yeah, not I what I like, expected. Is it Rangnick or Rang- Ragnick? Well, it's R-A-N-G-N-I-C, Rang- Rangnick. And he's German, so it's probably something even like wrong, maybe even. Yeah, yeah. Definitely were wrong. 
<laughs> yeah. What we're trying to say is <laughs> we're almost certainly incorrect about this name. Did you know that he uh, was the director of football for... Uh, he oversaw the global football initiative, including New York Red Bulls. Yes. So actually, I didn't know he was involved with New York Red Bulls, but I knew that he was involved with RB Leipzig. Yep. So he, during his tenure, the New York Red Bulls won the Supporter Shield in 2013, 2015, and 2018. And the Red Bull Brag- Brag- Bragantino? Hmm. Uh, they gained promotion to Syria in 2020, and then he resigned, moving to uh, Russia. Yeah, so he he started Moscow. like a consultancy, mm-hmm. and their current, I guess, like he's like that. Yeah, he was the head of sport and development for Locomotive Moscow. But like I don't I don't really know how all that works. It's a consultancy. It's a business that he runs. That's sort of a third party that you know offers I don't know whatever whatever services that a club might need. I don't know if it's like scouting, if it's technical directors, if it's a coach. Uh, I think they just kind of help them with a lot of their backroom organization that sort of thing. So okay, and that seems to be sort of what the deal is with United. I think he's basically going to be on the sidelines for them for the remainder of the season, and then he's going to take on a consulting role for the two more years after that. Is like the structure of the contract. Okay, so, so like, he won't be really managing. He'll be managing for the rest of this season, mm-hmm. but then they're going to hire another manager as well as keeping him on to consult. Yeah, I think basically Jeez. acting as like maybe like a director of football or something. Okay. So trying to help them with talent identification and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And he's, I mean, I don't know. His track record's pretty good there. I think he's partly responsible. Uh, A lot of people attribute it to him, at least, for sort of the rise in RB Leipzig and their, you know, uh, talent acquisition and ID, their use of data. You know, they've kind of become a bit of a gem when it comes to data in European soccer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen that some of the athletic writers, uh, there's Tom Warville, I think, uh, left his job at the athletic to work in house as a data analyst for RB Leipzig. So, you know, this is kind of their bread and butter. Um, so Ragnick, I believe runs kind of a pressing style, (laughs) the gang press, and which is scary. Yeah, I think with the team that they have, if they have a pressing style that works, it's going to work really, really well. Um, and I think a lot of the coaches that kind of, you know, were asked about it during pre- press conferences this week uh, are a little bit nervous. Uh, he is credited for influencing Thomas Tuchel, Julian Nagelsmann, Ralph Hasenhutl, and Jurgen Klopp. Like some of the biggest names right now in the Premier League, he's credited with influencing their coaching style and bringing him back into the Premier League, bringing him back into a team that has Jaden Sancho, Mason Rashford, uh, Marcus. Mason Greenwood and Marcus, yeah, (laughs) Marcus Mumford. (laughs) Uh, Marcus Rashford and uh, the the grandchild himself, Cristiano Ronaldo. I think if grandchild, (laughs) if if they can pull off a good press, uh, not a lot's going to stop that. 
Yeah, so this is the interesting conversation, right? Because we know that Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't really like to uh, do the pressing. He doesn't right. do it very much at all, in fact. And what was interesting leading up to the game was some of the first 11 selections that were made for Manchester t- today. Mm-hmm. So we saw that Marcus Rashford starts. We saw that Jaden Sancho starts. We saw that Ronaldo was on the bench. So these are interesting things. And I think, you know, Rang- Rangnick said, you know, that their focus isn't going to be on Ronaldo. It's going to be having these sort of principles. And if Ronaldo fits into them, so be it. And if not, they're, you know, of, of course, going to try to find ways to utilize them to the best of, you know, his ability and to what fits the team. But uh, it's a, it's to me, that's more of a forward thinking process than saying, hey, we'll put this talented player at the top and hope he can keep bailing us out like he's been for the past, you know, Just six get really lucky and have some bullshit calls go his way. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's how they've won. Yeah, exactly. So let's get but into the game. game. Today, yeah. Uh, another a key player missing, you could say, was also Harry Maguire, who was out of serving a red card suspension. So the United lineup today was, I thought, fascinating. <laughs> they had this kind of 4-3-3, and they were using uh, Matic in the midfield. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. So I'm just double check that I got it right. Da, da, da. Yeah, so they had uh, Victor Lindelof and Eric Bailly as their center backs. Fred on the left, uh, Nemanja Matic on, in the center, and Scott McTominay on the right for their midfield. And then, of course, Sancho up top with Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes behind them. So that was kind of their 4-3-3 formation. We had talked about uh, no Ronaldo being in there. And right away, as soon as kickoff starts, we see that Rashford and Sancho are both very active pressing. Yeah. And and work really well with Fernandes. Yes. Yeah. So very, very uh, interesting change for them. Uh, and... Basically, I think you look at it and you go, Jane Sancho's a great player, obviously, mm-hmm. but he's also young. Mm-hmm. He's got fresh legs. He's got stamina. You're not going to ask a 37-year-old striker who doesn't press to press. Yeah. So it makes sense to start Jane Sancho. The other thing was Ronaldo played 90 minutes against Villarreal midweek. So, you know, there might be that there too. Uh, maybe we're reading it too, too much, but I don't know. This seems like it, it sort of makes sense to me. I don't want to say that say it i don't want to say that united like (laughs) united got their goal in this game because of that pressing setup that they started with yeah and it wasn't because they pressed high up the field they dispossessed the defender whatever they worked hard for it (laughs) well it, it, it just wasn't that like it was like coming from a moment where you know they're really defensively sound they were playing a really back and forth game and you know they finally had some success with the press that led to a dangerous moment and a goal for sancho that's not really what happened it was an effort play though Mm -hmm. so they were there yeah exactly so there's a moment in the game where they there's a there's a attack from chelsea in the box that's that's stopped Bruno Fernandez collects the ball kind of at the top of their box, sends a long clearance to the center of the field. And Jorginho's there to try to collect. His first touch is poor. 
Now, he's pretty far back. This probably wouldn't have mattered, but as soon as uh, Fernandez kicks the ball, you see both Rashford and Sancho get on their horses and sprint to chase at the ball. Jorginho's touch is heavy. It kind of falls away from him. He's got to kind of lunge at it to see if he can kind of just get it out of the way of Sancho. He can't. Sancho collects the ball. He and Rashford run up the field. There's 2v1, just those two in the keeper. And Sancho kind of does this little like shoulder shimmy like he's going to pass it to Rashford. And then he just kind of takes a shot and slots it home near post. Mendy can't do anything about it. A good finish. It was a good finish. And uh, that's two goals in two games for Sancho playing and starting at Manchester United. Who would have thought? It definitely could have been another one for him today if he had gotten his touch under control on another breakaway. Uh, I think Pulisic had a really, really strong first touch, one of those plays. And it was like, if Jaden Sancho had had that touch, he would have been golden. Yeah, it was a, a long ball that he tried to like collect with his chest and mm-hmm. he was sprinting and yeah, just It was an awkward yeah. play for him to try and control but so is the Pulisic one. And I think Pulisic for, you know, playing only 30 minutes of this game had some good looks, some really good crosses. I think if, uh, what was the player that skied it in the last second? Rudiger. I think if Rudiger had kept that ball somewhere on the ground, mm-hmm. we would have been talking about a whole different game. And Chelsea definitely had a second half push. Okay, I mean, Granted, I think Chelsea was a better team almost the entire game. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. <laughs> but I thought when Pulisic came in, fresh legs always help. He came in with Mason Mount. I think the two of them work really well together. They read each other really well. And I think they had really good opportunities that they just could not. Werner could not put it in the back of the net to save his goddamn life today. They had really good crosses that were just skied way, way, way up into the stands. I think their finishing was not great Yeah, today. Timo Werner, I think, like, got the, like, face-off surgery. <laughs> or, like, somebody got the face-off surgery with Timo Werner, and that is not Timo Werner. I don't know who that is. Yeah, he was injured before. Like, he was just recently injured. Maybe it's just him coming back. This is his process. It I, was. <laughs> you, you might be right. I don't want. I don't want to be like that dismissive because I think Werner, like his numbers last year, were his underlying numbers were like pretty, pretty damn good. But mm-hmm. he just like is so hapless in the box, and it's just like that's just like a guy. Like, who is that? Yeah. Why? Why is he doing that? I, I, why can't he just get a shot on goal? I, I don't know. It's so strange, but. Yeah, so that's kind of like I think maybe we should, we could we can circle back to how this game actually went because United get their goal off of a genuine moment of uh, you know individual or collective determination and will that was based off of the sort of pressing mentality that they're trying to institute. I don't think their pressure was like all that effective for most of the game because Chelsea thoroughly dominated this game. But if if they were playing Ole Ball, you probably don't see Sancho on the field in the first place. And you probably don't see, you know, players sprinting to get to that ball. They nope. probably just assume Jorginho is going to collect it and they're going to recycle it back in. And who knows what happens? Yeah, I think uh, Ronaldo would have sat there at the half line, going, "Nice, nice play. That, yeah. was, a, that was a really good clearance there." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So. Maybe try to get it my feet next time. Yeah, exactly. Come on, I'm right here, yeah. not, th- not three <laughs> inches this way. Come on. I think we should maybe do like a a quick hit of you know kind of how the the plays went for this game 
Go for it. So starting in the third minute, ZX shot outside of the box, outside of the six from the left side, low into the right, DeHaya saves it. Aaron Wambsaka and Lindelof whiff on a pass uh, that fall from a from Alonzo. It falls to Calum Hudson and Doe's feet in the box. Calum Hudson and Doe is one on one with DeHaya. Shoots from the six, goes to the back post. DeHaya gets a kick kick to it and it goes around the post. That's a fourth minute. One minute later, also in that moment, it was pretty funny. Werner is like sitting there, just so pissed off at Hudson and Doe because <laughs> he didn't pass it to him. And like the square might have been there. I watched the replay like a bunch of times, but I think if he passes to Werner, which like. Probably probably should have done it. I don't know. But I think if he does, there's a defender there. I think it was Bailly. And Werner would have had to at least like touch around him or something mm-hmm. to, you know, get a clear look. So And it wasn't a completely like easy pass to make either. Yeah. With everybody moving and there was a United defender kind of collapsing the yeah. space between the two of them. So it I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't like a big miss. And the shot like from close range was still pretty pretty decent look, I'd say. Uh, then again, we have a Rudiger shot from way outside the box. Hits uh, it's from the left left side of the field. Hits the crossbar. I watched this a few times as well. I still can't decide if Dehaya gets his finger to it or if it's kind of because it's dipping and the space you can't you can't tell sort of if the finger is in front of the ball or if it kind of grazes the, his hand and it pushes it back. But either way, it ends up hitting the crossbar and bouncing away. That was in the thirty first minute. Then again, Bruno Fernandez plays a really terrible cross uh, across <laughs> United's box from kind of the, down by the left corner flag. Count Hudson Adoy is just standing there, uh, falls to his feet. It was a great pass to Count Hudson Adoy. That's what he meant to do. <laughs> he settles it, uh, dribbles in a bit, takes a right footed shot um, just inside the center of the 18. Decide, DeHaya saves low into his right. 36 minute. DeHaya had the game of his life today. Yes. He was defense midfield. (laughs) He was distributing. (laughs) He was, I think he was the pass before Fernandez to the, the one goal opportunity. Yes. So it was, it was his day. Oh, for sure. So that like breathless, long winded list is all to say that Chelsea were basically peppering DeHaya Mm -hmm. with shots from all different places. And that's just in 30 minutes. And that was like the first 30 minutes of the game. Yeah. Then the game breaks with the Jorginho mistake and the Sancho goal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's still basically all Chelsea. They're still responding with a lot of pressure, trying to get the goal back. And they eventually get a goal off of a a Wambasaka foul in the box that uh, Silva falls and Jorginho converts in the penalty spot in the 69th minute. Nice. That's 1-1. A good hand in both goals. He did. Jorginho, yeah, yeah, responsible for both goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like United, this is like a, a smashing grab, basically. Like they didn't get all three points, but they got one point off of two shots on target. I think that's way more than they should. <laughs> <laughs> they had three shots in the game, two on target. Uh, well, I'm saying I think this is way more points than they should have no, gotten yeah, from the game. For sure. I don't think they played extremely well. I think they they're they're looking better which is to say not much because they haven't been looking good for months. Yeah. But yep. I did like the change and I thought they hustled a lot more without Ronaldo in the game. And it, it wasn't like, you know, big Papa's getting mad at you because he doesn't have the ball every 30 <laughs> seconds. It was more of a team effort, which was good to see. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think, I still think like they, they, what was interesting to me about the team selection is they had a very defensively set up midfield. 
mm-hmm. with Maddich, Fred, and McTominay. And this was like a expensive like Newcastle for what they did with their low block. Yeah. It's pretty effective defending. Expensive Newcastle. But like Chelsea were getting into dangerous spots and just not converting. They took twenty four shots in this game. Yeah. Six on target. Twenty four freaking shots to Man United's three and they draw. Oh, the stat that killed me, it was like right before half. It was like fifty six completed passes for Chelsea in the final third. And it was three for Man United. <laughs> yeah. And I was dying yeah yep and it was like yeah it was like chelsea had like i don't know nine shots with like three on target man united had like three shots with one One on on target target. yeah Yeah. so it it, like if you just look at the numbers it's like this was utter dominance by chelsea and that's what it was yeah yeah but the scoreline just doesn't reflect it which is frustrating but i mean we've seen this so many times the salt lake uh, the real Salt Lake uh, MLS game, not at one shot on target, and they won. Yep. Yeah, so for those that don't know, I, I was trying to figure out how we were going to shoot one this in. <laughs> real Salt Lake played a game against the Seattle Sounders in the MLS playoffs, and they played a very defensive game and tried to counter. They achieved zero shots in 120 minutes of regulation soccer. Not even shots on net. Just zero shots, shots altogether. Zero. <laughs> Seattle had like 21 with like six on target or something. But here's the, I mean, here's the same situation. Like you get a ton of shots. They're all like kind of mediocre. Like they weren't like all great shots, you know? So, uh, and then, you know, in the, in the case of the MLS game, Real Salt Lake, they go to penalties. Uh, there's a bunch of shit. Housery with Ochoa, Real Salt Lake's keeper. And he's fired up. He makes a couple of saves or makes a save in the in the penalty shootout. And they Real Salt Lake converts with all six of their chances. They go on to the next round. They actually won tonight. Yeah. Yeah. They beat which, the Rapids, right? Yeah. Which if we win against New England Revolution, then it is NYCFC versus Real Salt Lake in NYC. Ooh. Wait, so, sorry, Real Salt Lake beat sporting kc yes so two to one yeah so yeah they still have a they're still the final to go so yeah i think it was a pretty lopsided game and chelsea are basically maximally punished for their Mm -hmm. uh one big error so yeah i mean that's that's the story of that game i'd say moving on to what's upcoming this week What's up coming this week, Blair? It's the festive season, Maddie. The festive season. The holidays are upon us. And with that, we've got fixture congestion. Woo! Woo! What's fixture congestion? It's you might better be than asking? nasal congestion. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. At least you can breathe with fixture congestion, maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. So the match weeks are coming at us hot and heavy. We've got match week 14 coming up. Just around the corner with games kicking off on Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. We got two matches Tuesday, six matches Wednesday, and two matches on Thursday. These are Premier League games. This is not a joke. They play a lot of games all of a sudden. Um, 
this will happen a few times throughout the month of the end of the, well, I guess, yeah, the month of December. And that's kind of where the festive fixtures comes in. Yep. They had a lot of games around the holidays. Um, and so, yeah, a lot to look forward to. If you're playing fantasy premier league, make sure you set your lineups and don't forget, like I always do during this time of the year, we've got the games through the midweek. Uh, like I said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then we have games following that just at the weekend for match week 15. Uh, which is a full slate of games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, so it's going to be, what, three games in 10 days for most teams? Yeah. Some big games coming up, I would say, throughout the week. We've got Man U versus Arsenal at Old Trafford. That's Thursday, oh December boy. 2nd at 3.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as all times will be. <laughs> West Ham versus Chelsea at London Stadium on Saturday, December 4th. That's the 7.30 a.m. kickoff for all of you fanatics out there. Aston Villa of Leicester at Villa Park on Sunday, December 5th. I think that should be a pretty fun game. I'm excited. That one's at 1130. Yeah. So those are the fun games that I saw from the list. Um, but yeah, everybody's going to be playing. So if you're a fan, make sure to set your alarms. Mark your calendars. Take work off. So yeah, put in PTO. <laughs> Pay time off, that is. Because, yeah, the festive season is upon us. So looking forward to it. It's always fun. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this many games. I knew that there were games coming up, but I thought it was just like they were taking the weekend off or like the there was some different national tournament going on that I didn't know about because it always seems like as soon as I get a handle on like their schedule and their games and all of the tournaments, they add another one in and they're like, yeah, fuck you. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like AFCON. Yeah. Didn't yep. did didn't know what that was. Apparently there's like the the Qatar there's another Qatar tournament going on. Oh, it's the Arab Nations Cup, I yep, think. Yep, yep. It never stops and it just keeps getting more, uh, more and more. There is certainly not a shortage of soccer. I think you could probably find a soccer game every night of the week if you really wanted to. Yeah, I, I think you could, especially with the MLS uh playoffs coming up. There were two tonight. And I think one of them is happening as we speak, uh, which is pretty exciting. And on Tuesday, Tuesday is a big, big match for New England Revolution is uh, our somebody that we went to college with, Brandon By, is playing against NYCFC. A New England Revolution was top dog of our um, Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference. And NYC was not, but somehow squeaked out the win against Atlanta, not Atalanta. <laughs> Markedly different teams. <laughs> Very different teams. I don't think we would have squeaked out a win against Atalanta. No. But no. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, we are playing on Tuesday, Tuesday night, against New England Revolution, which should be a fun game. Yeah, so lots coming up. Great weekend of fixtures that we had this weekend. And yeah, many more uh down coming you know in the near term so looking forward to it maddie anything else no i'm looking forward to having host jacob uh dad back on the podcast it's been fun maddie i've enjoyed uh having you co-host oh thank you it's always a pleasure and uh yeah of course this will happen again sometime in the future so thank Probably. you everybody once again for listening make sure to follow us on our social media Instagram, Twitter, email, Gmail. 
yeah, rate, follow, subscribe to the podcast, please. It really, really helps us get more uh, traction. We were told this week that we are sitting at 137 in the in, uh, the category of soccer in Ireland. So thank yeah. you, Ireland, and uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> it's always thank you, Ireland. Always. <laughs> we, right. we got our first Ireland listener this week. Yes, yeah, so that puts us at 137. Uh-huh. Okay. Yay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. Cheers. Cheers.